Thessalonians. Um, so let's join again in just a prayer, focusing our hearts and our minds on the scriptures this morning. Father, as we once again turn our, our eyes uh, to the written word, that it might reveal to us uh, the living word. We lift up those who are not able to be with us in person. We're, we're, uh, we're always aware now of just how, um, how physically scattered we are. Bring us together um, spiritually in, your, in the looking at your word. Uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hands to do and feet to walk, um, to live out your word the best we can in a world that needs to hear from their, its God and creator. We pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to us today as only he can through his word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start by reading two passages, one from 1 Thessalonians and one from 2 Thessalonians. We've been, we've been reading the two books together, so putting them in parallel. And the more that I do this, the more I realize how close their structures are. Um, I was aware of it before I started, but, but um, even this week as I was reading, I saw some things uh, that, uh, that I hadn't noticed before. We're going to be reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8, um, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Uh, because we are, we are now hitting Paul's uh, first endings. Paul never ends a letter once when he can end it twice or three times. Um, he, he always has a tendency to say things like, finally, and then you go, wait, we're on chapter 9 and there's 16 chapters. Um, uh, so that's proof that he was a preacher. So um, we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8. And what I want you to do is I want you to look out um, for uh, what I call, what I call the, the core word. All right, so the core phrase. The core words and core phrase in the passages that we're going to be reading, kind of the center that everything revolves around, is phrases that have something to do with stand fast, establish, stand strong. All right, um, those, those are the cores to what Paul is saying. And when we take the two passages together, what he says about standing, uh, we get kind of an interesting perspective on things. Um, verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8. For now we, he's talking about himself, now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that you feel, we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now, you turn over a page to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. This is, uh, again, these letters are written very, very close together, and we're going to look um, in uh, we're going to look in verse 14, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. Um, he, says, he says this, actually let's start in 13. But we ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the, Holy, by the Spirit and belief in truth. To this he called you through our gospel, 
so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions or the teachings that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every work and word. Now, what I want you to watch, and, and as we read through this, is I want you to, to kind of draw the connections, is the ways that Paul uses these terms, stand fast and establish, and um, because he's really giving us kind of two perspectives on the topic of holiness. Now, holiness isn't a popular thing to talk about today um, in our modern society because the word holy means set apart. It means uh, separated. It means um, called to something special. Holiness is, um, is more than just devotion or dedication. It is an acknowledgement that God has established something, um, and so we have a responsibility to fulfill that establishment. You know, holiness and discipline often get combined. People talk about how, how spiritual disciplines will make you holy. Um, and I'm, I'm listening to a series of lectures right now on just the year 1215. I know, I'm a nerd. And so... Um, one of the things that was happening in the 11th and 12th century in Europe was, was what was called the anchor movement, um, the anchorist movement. What it was, was there were women who were devoting themselves to God, they thought, and their devotion to God had to be so extreme that what they would do is they would, they would live in just a cell, just one room. Often those cells would actually be walled in. There'd be no door. And there'd just be one window that looked in on the chapel of the church. It'd be a room on the outside of a church building. And there'd be one window that looked into the chapel of the church so they could see the host be elevated. Because in the Middle Ages, they believed that if you, if you saw the, the, the host of the, the Eucharist, the communion, elevated, you couldn't die that day. I'm not sure where that idea came from. Um, but, um, and so they had to be able to see the host. They had to be able to see the observance of, of Eucharist or communion. And then they had one window that looked out to the outside, and that window's primarily job, I wish I was making this up, but the primary purpose of that window was to let the cat in and out um, because they were allowed to have a cat. I don't know. I don't know. I, my, my interest runs only so far. Anyway, um, so the, this idea was that way they'd be cut off from all the desires of the world and, and they'd be cut off from all luxury. And one of the anchoresses, she actually lived in a cell so small that it was barely wide enough for her to be able to lay down on the stone floor. Um, and they weren't allowed to eat meat, and, they, and they, they had to keep their bodies like lean and skinny and deprive themselves. And the idea was, through that discipline, they were going to be close to God. Now, we don't have that going on in Christianity today, but so often people talk about someone who is holy. Oh, they say, oh, that person is so holy, because that person has some kind of, quote-unquote, superpower, Right? It, it's, not, it's not expected to be the norm for Christians. Christians, there's, there's, there's holy people and then there's normal people. Um, you know, and like, like holy people, like, oh my goodness, they're so holy and majestic and wonderful. And, oh! and, then, and then there's the normal Christian. We're like, we're not so holy, we're kind of iffy, you know. And then we got all the way on the other side, we get the backslidden Christian. Like, oh, they're terrible, they're awful, they're sinning all the time. And we kind of think that way. 
I would encourage you to believe that holiness is not the calling for the elite. It is the calling for all of the church. We're all called to what Paul commands us to do in these passages. And let's, so again, let's just look. First Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, um, uh, he says, therefore, uh, yeah, I turned, I'm looking at the wrong chapter. There we go. All right. I'm like, that's not the verse. We now live if you are standing fast in the Lord. So Paul says, says to them, he says, you know, what, you know what really brings joy to my life? You know what really makes me feel alive? Is when I know that you are standing fast. Now the Greek word is stiko. Um, it's the word we get stick. Like, oh, she sticked the landing. That is legitimately where it came from. Um, and because if you think about it, that word means no, that makes no sense in that verb. Oh, they stuck the landing. What? Uh, like it doesn't, it comes from this idea, stiko, to stand or to, to, to stake, right? You put up a property stake. That's the same word as opposed to stake, stake, which is something else entirely. Um, but uh, but the, this, this whole idea of this, this staking or establishing that you stand fast. And what Paul means is that you, are, you, you know who you are in Christ and you, you are established, you are set, and you stand fast in the Lord. But I want you to notice that when he makes this reference in 2 Thessalonians, when the following passage, when he talks about standing fast, the same verb, he uses something else. He says in verse 15, So then, brothers, stand firm. Same word, same verb, same tense, same everything. Just translated differently. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Um, and and I, I, wanna, I want you to, to see what Paul means when he stands, he says, stand firm in the Lord, stand fast in the Lord. He says, stand firm and hold to traditions. Um, he is not offering us two different ideas. He's giving us one idea. And, and I get that, that this is going to probably sound annoyingly, annoyingly um, uh, uh, idealist. But to know the Lord, to know God, is to know the Word and the, the letters. What Paul is talking about is the Scriptures. He says, you, you, you stand firm, you hold on to the traditions that I've taught you, whether it is by word, spoken out loud, or by letter. Now, now what he may mean, and I'm not going to say that he absolutely means this, but what he may mean is this. Originally, the Gospels... All right, the, the gospel, when an apostle would come and preach, when Matthew came and preached, he preached what is the gospel of Matthew. When, when Peter, and Paul, uh, Peter and Mark came and preached, they preached what was the gospel of Mark. When Paul and Luke came and preached, they preached what was the gospel of Luke. Those were originally called the words. There's a, there's a writer named Papias who lived, he was actually one of the Apostle John's students, and he says that Matthew, to, to write his gospel, he gathered the, the logoi, the words, um, and often it's translated as sayings, which is not a good translation of it. Um, he gathered the logoi of Christ together, and that was what he presented to people, the word. Now, we call them the gospel, the good news, but the very early church may have referred to the gospel as the word, because the gospel is the, the greater message, but it's the words of Jesus, all right? It's the message, and then Paul says the letters. So Paul may be saying that in order to know the Lord, 
you need to know the divinely inspired, revealed word of God. The gospels and the letters. That's what the New Testament is. The New Testament is the gospels and the letters, the epistles of the apostles. But either way, what he's saying is you don't get to just know God on your own terms and that makes you holy. You don't get to just decide what God wants you to do and doesn't want you to do and then just do that and that makes you holy. And there are plenty of people who do that, who go through life and they say, well, I want to be a Christian, um, but I don't like this part of the Bible, so I'm just going to ignore it. Um, And I don't like this part, so I'm just not going to study it. Um, If I don't read it, then I won't know what it says and then I'll be okay. Um, This is one of the problems, by the way, there for a while, there was a movement in Christian Christian publication called being a red-letter Christian. I don't know if any of you have ever heard this phrase. The idea that red-letter Christians were, we're just going to live the teachings of Jesus. Just whatever Jesus says, that's what we're going to do. Now, first of all, I got to tell you, there are a lot of moments in the Gospels that what Jesus was saying was to make a point, not to tell you how to live your life. I mean, I don't know about you, but generally speaking, walk around telling people that they're whited sepulchers is not a good way to go through life. So there are moments when Paul, when, when Jesus is speaking and he's, he, you can't just say, well, I'm just going to read Jesus. I'm, I'm just going to live according to Jesus because that's not all the Bible. That's not all that the Holy Spirit gave us. He gave us the Gospels that we might know who Christ is and he gave us the letters, the epistles, that we might know how to live as the church because of who Christ is. So we have to have both of them together and, and yes, believe it or not, we also need the Old Testament, all right? And a lot of Christians are like, that's just the first half we turn through to get to Matthew. Um, but we also need the Old Testament. It teaches us the righteousness and the greatness and the hesed, the loving kindness of God. Um, there's a, we need the scriptures to know the Lord. So how can you stand fast in someone if you don't know what he said? How can we possibly be established as Christians if we are not willing to dig into the Scriptures and know the revealed Word? Um, It always fascinates me when people say things like, don't get too deep. I used to be told, uh, when I was the assistant pastor at a church, the pastor used to always tell me, he says, Sunday morning isn't for getting deep into the Bible. Just keep it superficial. He actually used that word. Keep it on the surface. I'm like, I don't know about you, but that would be boring. I want to get in. I want to get grit. I I don't want to live on Cheetos. I like Cheetos. But man, I don't want to live on Cheetos and Pop-Tarts. I want to live on steak and and potatoes and and asparagus grilled just right. Anyway. um, Sermon over. No, uh... So he says you want to be established, you want to stand fast in the Lord, you want to be blameless in holiness. He says, um, as he goes on in in 1 Thessalonians, um, as he continues to talk about this, he says in verse 13, so that you may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. He says, "You you want to know true holiness? You want to know how to stand fast in the Lord? You get into the Word. You get into the Scriptures. Now, 
First and Second Thessalonians also kind of give us an interesting perspective on what holiness is. Again, let's go back and, and let's look at the way that he says this. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. But then in verse 13, he uses a related verb, stirizo, um, which is the same verb but has an R instead of a K. I won't get into the whole linguistics of it. But, but the, um, it's the same idea. In verse 13 he says, so that he may establish your hearts. So that he may make your hearts established, standing firm. All of those things. So what makes holiness? What makes holiness? Is holiness me doing all of the God stuff the right way? Or is holiness God supernaturally transforming me to be more like his son Jesus? And the answer is you can't have one without the other. There are some people that go through life and they think that the way to be holy is entirely humanistic. It is entirely about their ability to be a good Christian. So I put together the list of what is a good Christian, the checklist, and I do it every day. Um, I know people that believe that if they just read their Bible... Now, I'm not knocking on this. I am not saying that this is a wrong or bad thing in any way. Every time I say something like this, somebody's like, Pastor said we shouldn't do this. It's not what I'm saying. All right, but I know people that read their Bible every, uh, every year. They read through the entire Bible, starting on January 1st to December 31st. And some people have done it 12 and 15 and 20 and 30 and 50 times. That's cool if that works for you. All right? It takes me like five or six years at least to read through the Bible. That is not how, for one thing, I don't have the attention, I, have, I do not have the attention to even remember where I put the list that I'm supposed to be following. All right? But that, there's nothing wrong with being able to read through the Bible in a year or whatever, but the fact of the matter is, you know, you're reading this book that fast? How much are you actually going to get out of it in, in every pass? Now, again, it's not necessarily wrong to do it this way. Some people, it is a, it is a fulfilling thing. Lynn Swenson used to do it every year. He did it like 40 times. And Lynn had his own way of doing it. And, and it was funny because we'd sit and we'd talk. His birthday was just this past week. Um, and we would sit and talk, and he would read He would read a passage from the Old Testament, then he would read a passage from Psalms and Proverbs, then he would read a passage from the New Testament. And he would do it every day. He'd done it for 40 years. It's nothing wrong with it. But if you think that that is going to get you close to God, just reading through the Bible every year, that's just something to check off on the list. But on the other side, I know people who put their Bible on the nightstand by, by their bed and hope that while they're sleeping, the Holy Spirit beams the words into their heads. Right? And they're like, well, did you, you know, what did you, they, I, I, you know, did you, did, you, did you read the passage? Did you read a passage of Scripture about this? It's like, it's like no, I, I just, you know, I'm hoping God will just reveal it to me. Well, God's not going, God already did reveal it to you. You have to do the hard work of reading and receiving what he revealed. And it's not, it's not this side of just doing the checklist. When I was in college, I'd come back to the checklist. When I was in college, we had a little slip of paper. We had to get the pastor of our church to sign every week. And it said that we had done Christian ministry. 
I don't know what that meant, but you know, my dad signed it every week, so I must have been doing a good job. Um, but but the the uh, you know, we had to fill out this paper. It said you had to do Christian ministry, and and you could actually get in, like in in academic trouble for not getting those papers signed. Right now, I'm not again. I'm not knocking the administration. They were trying to do their best they could with it. But just because I fill out a slip of paper every week and said I did my Christian ministry, does that mean that I'm getting closer to God? That I, that I'm being holy? Flip on the other side. People who say, "Well, I'm a Christian, so anything I do, it's only done by the motivation of God. Therefore, it must be right." And you say nobody believes that. Oh yes, they do. Oh yes, they do. Um, there, there are several, there are several, several preachers on the Christian networks right now who preach that exact perversion of the gospel. You're a Christian, so everything is pure for you. Negative. God is God, and if He said that things are wrong, they're wrong, whether you feel like they're wrong or not. So He says to stand fast, to be established. It is both what I do. And what he does. The, the Eastern Church uses the word synergy. The Orthodox Church. They've got some theological quirks. but um, They've got a lot of theological quirks. But they have cool hats. And um, the, the, uh, they use the word synergy. The Greek words synergy. Sin together. Ener- not sin like committing sin with an I. But S-Y-N. Synergy. And energy together. That as we do what we are called to do. God does what he does. And as they join, as they come together, that, that moves me toward holiness. There is a synergy to holiness. Both we stand, which is personal and external. People can see me standing. People can see me acting. It's my personal action. But then God establishes, and that is internal and spiritual and not seen by people outside of us, outside of your head. And those two things are working together. We cannot do holiness without the Lord revealed in His Word and letter, but God won't make us holy without us putting in the effort. Let me say that again, because this is the big idea today. We cannot do holiness without the Lord as he has been revealed in the scriptures. But God will not make us holy without us putting in the effort. There is work involved in being changed by God. I don't get God to change me. It's not like if I just do this checklist, God will do this thing for me. That again is way over here, humanist. There is work involved in me knowing the scriptures because that's how I know God. Now some people say, well, I just I know his spirit. It speaks to me. That's great. But how will you know it's his spirit if you don't read and study what he revealed as the standard of truth? People say, well, I go to church and Eric does all the work for me. So I just listen to the sermon and that's my Bible fix. For the, I, I, I'm, I'm deep into the scriptures because of, because of what he said. Can I just say something to you? Nothing brings me greater joy than when people contact me about the Bible during the week. It's great that people talk to me about the Bible on Sunday. 
but you're supposed to talk about the Bible on Sunday. I know not all churches do it, but we do, all right? But when during the week when I get emails and text messages, hey, I was doing this and I was reading this and uh, I get, a, I get a, uh, an email this week, it's like, I know you think I'm the slowest reader in the Bible, uh, re- Bible reader in the history of the world, but I have a question about this that happened like three chapters after the question I asked like six months ago. But you know what? I'd rather you read slow than you not read at all. All right? Um, and I, I'd rather, I mean, uh, anyway. There is, a, there is a connection there. And when we are, when we are all, you know, doing, doing the work of getting to know God, in His supernatural way, God is doing His work of establishing us. He is strengthening us. He is building us up. Now let me ask you, excuse me, a very simple question. Why does God need to establish and strengthen us so that we can stand firm? I know this is deep. You don't need to establish and firm up and build up and strengthen something that isn't going to bear a load. Right now, Jason, Jason and I are, Jason Pouliot, Ray's son, and I are looking at the fellowship hall about taking one of the walls out. I'm not going to be doing it. Just, he's, he's good at it. Um, and we have to have an engineer come in because the, the floor that we're on right now is anchored a certain way to bear the weight. You could have built this building out of cardboard in 1977. It would have been difficult in the rain and the snow, but you could have done it as long as it didn't have to bear any weight. What is weight? What is a burden? It is stress. It is pressure. It is attack. I don't know about you, but I like the idea of a floor that doesn't cave in when I step on it. And God wants Christians who, when they're put under pressure, when they're put under stress, when they're put under burden, when they are attacked, when they are persecuted, when they go through tribulation, the only way that we endure that is if we stand firm. And the only way we stand firm is if we are in the Scriptures knowing the God who is establishing us. We endure pressure, we endure persecution, not through uh, uh, GoFundMe pages and, um, and cool websites and awesome music. We endure pressure and persecution and oppression and a society that is opposed to us through holiness, through being established and establishing ourselves. Now here is the amazing thing. And this is, I want to leave you with a little bit of homework. But if you read these two passages, you will find that when we do the work, it is not just one aspect of God, but the triune God at work strengthening us to endure. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work in us, transforming us, building us up, establishing us, laying foundations so that we might endure the persecution. 
the church that truly seeks after holiness becomes the anvil that breaks the world's hammers. But the church that seeks its own gratification, its own desires, its own needs, the church that credits God for our own desires and our own wants, the church that pursues after a holiness of their own making is shattered by the blow of the world's persecution. How do you endure? How do you stand firm? You get into the scriptures. You say, how, do, how does a marriage go through? Today is Valentine's Day. A day when we commemorate a man who was martyred outside the walls of Rome with chocolate. <laughs> and this, this Saturday will be uh, my 22nd wedding anniversary. And you ask... How does a beautiful, amazing woman like my wife endure 22 years married to me? How does she put up with my obsessive nature, my constant frustration with things, the, the, the ongoing conversation of everything that isn't good enough about me and everything else that's going on around me? This is my drive. People, you know, I'll tell you how. I'll tell you the only thing I can tell you. The limit of my marriage counseling. Are you ready? When we were dating, we decided that the only way that we would be able to love one another, maybe she decided it and I just went along, but anyway, <laughs> the only way that we would be able to love one another and make a lifetime out of the commitments that we had, that we were making to one another, was it first and foremost, all of our love and devotion had to be poured out to Christ and believe that He would then pour into us the love and commitment and devotion to stay together, to endure, to put up with our flaws, uh, my flaws. She has none. Um, <laughs> to go through all of the difficulties that we would face. We, we as as. 19, 18-year-old kids, we did not know what our life would be like at, at 44 and 40. And <laughs> we did not know. But we decided that that would be the foundation of our relationship. We talked long about it. And despite the stumblings and failings and frustrations and surgeries and problems and all the things that were going on, despite the demon cat who threatens to separate us daily, He's better now. He's diabetic, so when he gets freaky, we just withhold his insulin and it's fine. No. Don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. Um, but anyway, how do we get through? How do you get through? What is your marriage? You know, and this is one of the things I don't get. You know, it's like your love must be to Christ first. It is holiness first and relationship second. Because relationships founded on holiness will be much, much stronger and will endure much more pain and persecution and pressure. If we do not stand firm, we don't take the steps, and God at work in the way that He is, 
bring us and establish our hearts, we will be broken. There are days of every week where I feel like I'm on the edge of the breaking point. You know what I mean? You're just going to snap. There are days sometimes I'm thankful that there's no staff here. In the middle of the day, I just scream at the top of my lungs. You say, you're a pastor. You're not allowed to do that. Sorry. That's why there's no audio on the surveillance cameras. <laughs> there are days that I'll just go out in the field and I'll just yell and I'll, 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 I'll fight and even argue with God about what's going on in my life or in the church or, or the world. But the end, you always come back to this. We always come back to, but I will stand firm in your word and, and the letters, the scriptures, as you are revealed. And he establishes us. I don't know how I can, how I can love one more day, work one more day, trouble, struggle one more day, endure one more oppression, go through one more medical procedure, but here I am, God, I'm going to devote myself to you. I'm going to find the avenue to know you in your word, and he establishes us, and we endure, and we become the anvil that the world's hammers are broken on, and we survive, and we see the sun. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, in a way that we do not understand, all of you are at work to make us better men and women, better followers of Christ, better servants, better husbands, better wives, better parents, grandparents, single people, better employers and employees. In every aspect of our lives, may we devote ourselves to knowing you in your word and see you establish us and strengthen us as only you can. Our hearts break. We ask that you mend them and that we see your grace in the scars. Our joys are lifted up and we ask that you hear them and you buoy us up and remind us of those moments of greatest communion with you when we face darkness. Lord, take us deep that we might stand. 